Listening to Real Talk SLP with your host, Felice Clark, the Deviling Speechy. This is a show to help speech pathologists navigate the SLP world with real life stories to celebrate therapy successes and how to persevere when failure comes knocking on your door. Hello, Amy. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Felice. I'm so excited to be here. I know. I'm excited to have um, you come on the show and talk about the cycles approach. But before we really get into all the speechy things about cycles, why don't you introduce yourself in case anyone doesn't know your background and what you specialize in? Absolutely. So my name is Amy Graham. I am a speech language pathologist and I have been for, oh my gosh, 22 three years, some, something around there. I own Graham Speech Therapy, a private practice that I run out of my home. And I call it a boutique style private practice because for one, it's just me. I am the only SLP at this practice. So it's small. It's just me. And I specialize in speech sound disorders. So I only assess and treat kids with articulation deficits, phonological disorders, and apraxia of speech. So that's kind of my niche. And I post a lot of therapy videos with the permission of all my families on my Instagram account. And so I have quite an active Instagram account where a lot of SLPs find it helpful just to kind of see what speech sound disorders therapy can look like. And then I have developed quite a few materials on Teachers Pay Teachers and Boom Learning that I sell also on my website, gramspeechtherapy.com. And just really very speech sound disorders specific. So some of most of the materials that I have developed for sale, I developed for myself first because it was something that I needed, like my oral facial exam or my speech sound disorders specific case history form and things like that. So I am all about speech sound disorders. It's what I love. And so that's what I've been specializing in. Nice. And you get to work for yourself. How's that? It's the best. <laughs> It comes with a lot of extra work that people, I think you don't realize, you know, if I have a certain amount of contact hours, it feels like a very part-time practice. But if you factor in all of the business time that you have to spend on, you know, website management and billing and all that, it's it's definitely more of a full-time job than you'd think. Totally. But yeah, there's still some flexibility there that you get to make your own schedule and then you get to pick what areas you want to niche down in. And that's why I knew you were a good fit for talking about cycles approach because a lot of SLPs in the school setting, which is a big part of my audience, we get anything that's on our caseload. We have large caseloads and to feel confident with treating phonology disorders or speech sound disorders in general, it gets a little overwhelming because there's a lot of different approaches. And so before we jump into all your strategies and tips, I always ask my guests to share a song or a song lyric that comes to mind on our topic. So if you have a song that reminds you of the cycles approach or treating speech sound disorders, what would you choose? (laughs) When you told me that, that I had to think of a song, I mean, it took me a second, but honestly, the first thing that popped into my mind, and it may just be because I'm old and I'm an 80s kid, was Circle in the Sand 
by Belinda Carlisle. I'm a, I love like 80s, early 90s music. And I don't know. I don't think even the lyrics have much to do with cycles, but the idea <laughs> of circles, I just, I, and plus I love that song. Who doesn't love Belinda Carlisle? She's the best. So for, for that reason alone, Circle in the Sand popped out to me. Because you have to circle back. You do. Sound. You have Ooh. to circle back to cycle through all the phonological patterns that you need to address. So there, does that make sense? It totally <laughs> makes sense. And I think that was a great song choice, even though I I probably haven't even heard this song, even though I was, you know, I was 81, baby. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I'll have to go listen to that song. You're going to recognize it and you're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I will put a link to the YouTube video for anyone that are millennials or I forget the next generation underneath that may, it may be more of a Gen X thing on this one, but yeah, yeah. it's a good song. My brother-in-law is a big eighties music fan. So we listen to the eighties music often in my house. All right. So let's <laughs> now let's segue to actually talking about cycles approach. One thing that I think that I can kind of get tripped up with is how do I know when implementing cycles is the correct approach or when do you use a cycles approach or what signs do you see when you're doing those initial assessments like that this is going to be the best approach for a child? Sure. So first off, the cycles approach is probably the first phonological approach that I learned um, in graduate school because it was developed, I believe, in the 80s by Dr. Hodson, Dr. Barbara Hodson and colleagues to basically target the speech, the highly unintelligible speech of very young children. So it tends to be for preschool age kids that have a ton of phonological error patterns. It's really a great intervention for kids where you really don't know where to start because they have so many errors. And I get a question, I get questions like this all the time on Instagram about, well, this child has so many errors, I don't even know where to begin. And the cycles approach is a very prescriptive, relatively easy to follow, basically way that you can choose how to prioritize particular phonological patterns. It helps you decide what phonemes in what positions of words to target. And so for me, it's super easy and helpful to implement cycles approach with those kids who are very highly unintelligible due to multiple phonological errors that they're exhibiting. And then also It's really good for those kids who need to feel like they're being successful right off the bat, because with the cycles approach, you only address targets if the child is stimulable for them. And so, you know, you're not going to address necessarily something right away if it's just too hard for the child. So it's kind of built in to the approach that you're kind of using that um, zone of proximal development where they just need a little extra help to get to that place where they can be successful. And so I love it for those kids. And sometimes with our preschoolers, they're little still, right? And so sometimes it's hard to get them to focus, to do harder speech tasks. And so this is really great for those kids as well. And it's also really um, good for kids with cognitive deficits. Dr. Hodson says you basically what they do in that, what we do in that case is we just double the amount of time that we spend on particular phonemes, but it can be really beneficial for those kids as well. That's awesome. Is everyone just kind of breathing a sigh of relief? Like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) that if you aren't sure where to start, that starting with cycles is a good place to start? That's why I love it. I mean, it just kind of gives you a framework for how to, you know, 
kind of progressively work from one phonological pattern to the next phonological pattern, because you don't wait for a certain degree of accuracy or even carryover before you move on. You just spend a certain amount of time, which is 60 minutes on one phoneme um, in one position of the word that you're, you, to address whatever phonological pattern you're working on. And you just spend 60 minutes on that. And then the next 60 minutes, you move on to the next one. So it is really a kind of a very simple way to move through and cycle through the phonological patterns and the phonemes that you're going to address. Yes. So to sum up uh, some points that you were sharing, it's, it's the cycles approach is very prescriptive. It's easy to follow. So that's a really good bonus for us as SLPs who are juggling a lot. It's a success-based approach. So you're looking for stimulability for students. And then it also works really well for students with you know, intellectual disabilities or have some cognitive um, delays, you just double the time. So for those SLPs listening who are just feeling really overwhelmed with everything because they have a large caseload or they serve a wide range of skills, what would be one or two things they could do differently in their sessions in this upcoming week? Well, I think for one, Using the cycles approach, if you are using the cycles approach, having a better understanding of what it is can help you right off the bat. So I think kind of digging a little deeper into cycles, if that's what you're using. But in general, for any speech sound disorder, I think no matter what intervention you're choosing, whether or not you're using a traditional articulation approach for your children who have errors at the phonetic level, those lispers, those residual R errors, or whether you've got, you know, a child where you're implementing phonological interventions, or if you have a child with childhood apraxia of speech, I think the thing you can do right away to make your life easier is to stop taking so much data during the actual session. And I know that people have different philosophies on taking data, but when it comes to speech sound disorders, my whole goal for the therapy session in and of itself is for that child to be 100% accurate on whatever task we're doing. And so if I need to take data, I may have a speech probe list with, you know, if we're working on S's or something, maybe I'll have 10 S words that the child has not had in therapy just to see and then ask them, you know, to look at the picture and tell me what they are. And then I'll just keep track of the data on, you know, those 10 words. But then when I'm, I put that away, so I do that my first couple minutes or two during therapy, I put that away and we get to therapy. So I'm not taking data during therapy. And really, if you can kind of get that into your head for speech sound disorders, it makes the therapy sessions so much easier because you're not trying to do two things at once. You're just focused on what you can do to help that child be accurate. Sometimes that means, you know, choosing different targets. <laughs> maybe we chose bad targets and I, you know, I change halfway during the session sometimes. Or maybe that means I need to focus on giving them better cues and prompts to improve their accuracy. So I think not focusing too terribly much on data throughout the whole session can be incredibly helpful. And then also not making the focus of SSD therapy the actual activity that you're doing. I know SLPs who work with language and it's something I don't do anymore, but we're, you know, we love to make these creative and clever activities that, you know, are very language rich, which are are fantastic. But when you're working with speech sound disorders, the goal and the, um, the objective of therapy is the speech task and to get more trials. And so I think if you simplify 
your activities that you use to get those accurate trials during your speech sessions, you're going to not only see improvement in the kid's um, ability to generalize to spontaneous speech, just because you're getting more accurate trials, which is the whole goal, but it's going to make your therapy planning session so much easier. I don't even plan my therapy sessions in terms of what activity we do. I just have a bunch of toys, a bunch of games in the background, and I let the kids choose because I know no matter what they choose, I'm going to be able to incorporate multiple trials per turn. Or if we're building blocks, we get to say this word five times before we get a block. So I think just simplifying what you're actually doing in therapy and using toys that have multiple pieces so that you can get trials per piece as you build it, or really quick turn-taking games, that right away will just make your therapy much more effective. I love those tips. And I will say with the data collection piece for school-based SLPs, if you are struggling because you have a mixed group, you know, one thing that I've done is I've really focused on getting good baseline data, taking that extra time to really do some good probing so that I know where they're at. And so like I, like what Amy was saying, I can have a quick word list to because some SLPs have to take data for their Medicaid billing. So I, I like that idea of just like quick, you know, one minute probe or some other solutions is a progress monitoring data approach. So maybe in between in a two week span, you're doing anecdotal data where you're basically saying they were stimulable for this word. They needed this many prompts. And then on data day, you go and do a little bit of a big dive and really check you know, where they're at or continue to do what Amy said, or you could use a rubric just saying this is where they're at and, and then close the data binder. (laughs) And I think you can be creative. There's no one right way to take data, I think, but you, you know, the nice thing about cycles approach too, is, you know, it's not about the degree of accuracy during the actual session. It's about at the end of a whole cycle, and I can explain what a cycle actually is, you're actually looking at carryover in spontaneous speech. So you do kind of that intermittent, you know, kind of probing for spontaneous speech generalization after the entire cycle is done, just to see are any of these patterns that we've been trying to suppress, how are are these target words or, or target sounds rather actually emerging in their spontaneous speech? And I, you know, I do that sometimes I'll do an entire session of just open-ended play. And all I'm doing is taking data. I'm like, oh, there it is. I heard that S cluster. Awesome. And then, you know, I'm taking data on that. Right. So you're just maybe listening in the session and marking how many times you heard some correct productions. And SLPs with mixed groups, you can do that on cheat sheets. You can have your schedule for the day and then have students listed so you can take that quick data and then transfer it if you need to later. So you're not flipping through your data binder, or you know which kids you're taking data for that day, and then really focus on teaching, you know, so that it is, it's hard to juggle a group of four kids. Yes. And I remember, (laughs) I I failed to mention at the beginning that I started out in the school. So I was in the schools for many years. And that was the hardest thing is when you had mixed groups, you know, I remember I had one group of five and six kids at my most terrible uh, caseload situation. And it's just hard to do. So I, I, I feel that issue for sure. Yes. And one other point, and we can, and then we'll move on to, I would love it if you could talk about an actual cycles 
for everyone just so they get an example. But then when you brought up simplifying the tasks, I think just having that mindset with your mixed groups that my kids with speech sound disorders need high trials and need high opportunities. So when you look at your activity, are they going to get that? And if they can't, how could you restructure your session so that maybe they can, and maybe the first 10 minutes, your language students are doing an independent task so that you can hit it hard with your speech sound disorder kids. And then as a group, whatever you're doing, they're still going to get those opportunities, but you can at least kind of breathe easy. Like, okay, we yeah. just nailed down about 50 or hundred trials. Whatever else we get is going to be awesome. Yes. It'll be frosting on the cake for sure. Yes. Yep. So that's stuff that I've kind of had to tweak or I've created stations and they, you can have them rotate or you just have to start thinking outside the box when you don't get that one-on-one -on -one experience. Or maybe if you can provide that one-on-one -on -one experience, you'll get your kids off your caseload faster if you can do that. Right. Exactly. So anyway, yeah. So let's hear, just, you know, explain what a typical cycle would look like for those that are maybe feeling a little bit rusty with this approach. Yeah. And I think it's one of the most commonly misunderstood aspects of what a cycle actually is, because I've heard some people like, well, we've cycled through S clusters. Now what do we cycle through next? And actually what a cycle actually is, it refers to the time period during which all the patterns that you are going to be addressing are targeted. So one cycle, if you have a child in front of you with cluster reduction and fronting and gliding and maybe final consonant deletion, one cycle will address all of those. So a, an entire cycle can take weeks because you're going to spend 60 minutes on each phoneme within each of those patterns. And so a cycle can vary on how long it is based on how many patterns you're going to address and how many phonemes within each of those patterns you are going to address as well. So I, I know it's kind of, you almost need a visual <laughs> to kind of picture what it looks like because it can be a little bit, you know, um, squishy to try to, tr to try to explain. But like, for example, I'll take one pattern. So let's say you have a child with final consonant deletion in addition to all of those other things. But let's say if you're going to address final consonant deletion, let's pick four, I would probably pick four sounds to address final consonant deletion, maybe two stops and two nasals. So I'm going to spend 60 minutes on N in final position and just work to get that child producing the N sound at the end of the words that we're going to be working on. So I spend 60 minutes on that. I don't wait until they've mastered it before I move on to the next sound. And then maybe I'll choose final P. So we'll choose some words with the final P sound and get them, you know, 60 minutes working on that. Then we work to the next one. Maybe it's final. I forget what I said for the first one, but M or N, maybe you another. You said N. You said okay, N. Okay, there you go. So maybe I'll work on final M. So I tend to work on um, some of those types of sounds that are pretty easily elicited so that we can just, that child, we're not just working on the production of the sound. The idea is to teach them the rule for the fact that these words have a sound at the very end of them and you're dropping them off. And so it's getting them, it's not just, and that's what any phonological intervention does, not just cycles, any contrastive approach, the complexity approach, we're just working on teaching this child the rule for the usage of these particular sounds, not just the production of them. Because often, you know, if you have a child with final consonant deletion, they can produce most of those sounds, but they just don't recognize that 
some words have a sound at the end. So we're teaching them the rule to, um, on how to use them in order to eliminate those phonological errors. Okay. So to clarify, if we were going to do final consonant deletion, we would spend 60 minutes for M, 60 minutes for N, and those are the nasal sounds. And then we would maybe pick like P and T or whatever for, and then after we get through those four sounds with 60 minutes, that would be one cycle? No. So okay, that, okay. That's well, that what I thought. Be, right. Exactly. That would be one, the first pattern that you've addressed. So if the child also has, let's say, cluster reduction, then the second pattern you're going to address in this first cycle would be S clusters. So then you're going to choose anywhere from two to maybe six target S clusters to address for S cluster reduction. Maybe it'll be final TS, initial SP, initial SN, and you can kind of determine what the child is stimulable for and select that. Um, And then maybe they have gliding. So then you spend the 60 minutes on those S cluster targets each. And then if they have gliding, you're going to move to gliding. And then maybe you'll spend 60 minutes on initial L, 60 minutes on initial R. Um, And so once you get through all the patterns that you have determined that you're going to address during a cycle, that's the end of your cycle. Does that That, make sense? Yes, that makes sense. So I think the first step is really uh, nailing down what processes, patterns you're seeing, which we all are pretty, I feel confident in that area. And then creating your system of which pattern you're going to target mm-hmm. and the sounds, you pick your targets, you you develop that out and then you run through all the ones you want to for 60 minutes. Then you go to the next pattern, Yep. then the next pattern until yeah. you've exhausted all the patterns that are significant and Mm -hmm. then you would cycle back and start a whole new cycle again. So you would go back to final consonant. Exactly. Once, once you've kind of gotten through that first cycle, you do a probe and you see, okay, are any of these beginning to emerge in spontaneous speech? And once a pattern is, or or a target, you know, those target sounds begin to emerge in spontaneous speech, at least about 50% of the time, you can really stop, addressing it directly because usually that means the rest is going to emerge on its own. So that's kind of the the beauty of phonological intervention. It's not a motor-based intervention, it's phonological. And so once you kind of reach that 50% criteria in spontaneous speech, you can put that that phonological pattern on the back burner and see if there's another pattern that you can incorporate into the next cycle. Awesome. Okay. So that was a really good explanation. I hope that was, that clarified any questions you might have. It helped me understand it a little bit better. Like just, it's been a while since I've done a cycles approach. So, (laughs) so this definitely answered some questions for the implementation of a cycles approach. I feel a lot clearer with how to approach planning therapy. So what my next question is for you is what mistakes do you notice SLPs making when implementing this approach? Like how could we avoid some of the things that we are, we could be doing incorrectly? Sure. Probably a couple of things that I see are kind of common mistakes. And I made these mistakes as well too. I think the most, one of the most common mistakes is specific to 
specific patterns that the kids have. If I have a child who is stopping, for example, like all their S's are T's and all their F's are P's. And those are the kids who are just have this really clear stopping. We have a tendency to want to address that in the first cycle, but actually we, in the cycles approach, it's considered a secondary cycle. So the first thing we address before we get to stopping are S clusters. And if you think about it, if a child is stopping S I guarantee you they're not producing S clusters either. So that's why we start with S clusters, because it's a lot easier to tack on an S sound to a word instead of changing a T to an S for that child. So I always address S clusters, and it's encouraged to focus on S clusters first before you get to stopping. And I think that's kind of a common mistake Um, that people make when they're selecting what primary patterns to address in that first cycle. So I I would say probably address S clusters always. (laughs) If they're they're stopping, get to S clusters first. I, yeah, I tended to do that anyway. You know, it's like understanding so you can explain to parents why you would even be doing that first. Right. I know. And I think sometimes I've had other SLP saying, well, wait, S clusters are a later developing you know, a speech skill. What are you talking about? But now what we know of the complexity approach and of child speech development, we need to kind of throw those ideas kind of out the window. You have to have this sound before you get this sound. That's not really a thing. There's not a hierarchy of a child has to say the W sound before they can say the S sound. It's, you know, those speech visuals, right? That McLeod and Crow article that kind of blew up the internet about at what age particular, you know, kids tend to master certain sounds. That was never meant to be prescriptive in terms of target selection. It's just meant to give us an idea of this is when most kids tend to master sounds. So I think it's okay to pick an S cluster as an early target um, for a variety of reasons. Right. And I think in the school setting, we we have it drilled down so much that you have to establish eligibility Right. that it, I think it can kind of mess with our perspective on choosing targets because we are so focused on, and and rightly we should be, if that's the way we have to make someone eligible. Mm -hmm. Um, But then once we make them eligible, trying to shift back into like, okay. Right. Because (laughs) like, you're so right, because eligibility is not target selection, right? That's a different situation. That doesn't mean you can't just because, you know, you can't maybe have a child eligible for this particular sound, but they have other, you know, patterns going on that can get them eligible. That doesn't mean you can't target that sound in therapy. Right. And since I've done some training in the complexity approach, that really helped me shift my mindset too around which targets to pick. And um, so if, yeah, that's another great approach to learn about as well. So to end our interview, I think a lot of SLPs got a lot of information about the cycles approach, but they want to learn more or brush up on their skills because they feel a little rusty or they just want to make sure they're doing it correctly. What trainings or resources would you recommend that would be really practical for them in their practice or serving their caseload? Well, Dr. Barbara Hudson is who I would recommend going to from, you know, the go to the horse's mouth, the, the person who developed this intervention. And on ASHA Learning Pass, she has a course called Evaluating and Enhancing Children's Phonological Skills. I think it's about three hours. And that's what I would recommend if you kind of want to get a really good idea as to what it is, why it is, and how we can use it. I will also, I will say it's super helpful that, you know, that 
course there is very theoretical and, you know, it kind of, she kind of goes down, you know, why you choose patterns, how to choose words for your targets, but it's also helpful to see cycles in action as well. And so I, myself, I post, I'll give a little plug for my social media. I post videos implementing different aspects of cycles approach and other interventions all the time, weekly, literally. So if you want to see what it can look like, um, follow me on Instagram at Graham speech therapy. Also, I have plans to uh, actually recording, um, a webinar talking about cycles and kind of just giving practical advice and strategies for implementing it into your clinical practice. And again, on Instagram, I always answer questions and answers. I have brief tutorial and video snippets too. So that's where I would definitely um, take a course from Dr. Hodson. And then if you want to see real life and what it can look like in real life, because I think it can be super helpful, check out my Instagram account. Yes, you do share a lot of great videos. And I think seeing someone else do it can build your confidence. Like, okay, I'm doing it like I'm doing it like Amy. So (laughs) you don't have to do it like me. (laughs) Well, you know what I mean? I I think sometimes we're a lone ranger sometimes in the school setting or in our private practices. And you're going, I think I'm doing it right. Well, it's just helpful to kind of, I think I've heard some people say, you know, it's kind of reassuring because I do something similar. And so, yeah, I think it can give us a little bit more confidence just to see how somebody else is implementing it. Totally. Or, you know, oh, maybe I need to do it a <laughs> right. little bit different. And then, so if they want to go to your webinar, you're probably going to share about that on your Instagram when that's ready. I absolutely will. I'm kind of in the, in the midst of compiling it and getting, you know, doing some research on it and taking videos for it. So I'm excited about that. When that comes out, I will let everybody know. Very cool. So yes, it was great having you on the show, Amy. And if you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed with planning therapy for the cycles approach, Amy has some really awesome boom cards. I will link to her boom learning account. I've used them all year with some of my virtual students and it just makes it systematic and just to ease in they're they're digital the kids like them it helps you have a framework for how to approach a therapy session and amy also has cycles approach Bayorum cards. They're basically these little uh, stimulus visual cards that you can use for any therapy activity. I love them because you can put them in your, your bag and they're easy to transport. So if you're going to lots of sites or you're going to people's houses, it's one of those little quick activities you can do so many things with. It's basically their flashcards, but what's great about flashcards is you can use them for so many purposes. So I will link to those as well. Can I just say one thing about yes. this? Um, because I think one of the mistakes too that I could have mentioned is it, I think the hardest part sometimes is selecting appropriate words <laughs> to work on in cycles approach. And so these um, Bjorn cards are basically, I mean, we really researched phonetic context of these words to make them a lot easier for children to be stimulable for the target sounds. So I think some of the hardest thing is we take articulation cards and try to make them phonological intervention appropriate, and they're not always that way. So these are very specific to cycles approach and really any phonological intervention that will help SLPs really pick their target words a lot easier. Yes. And then that will save you time as well too, because they've already done the work for you to know that you're picking good targets. So um, definitely check those out. And as always, SLPs, be the SLP that every kid wants to see. 
Thanks again, Amy. You're awesome. And make sure to go follow her at, at Graham Speech Therapy on Instagram. And I will see you all next week. Don't forget to stay inspired. All right. Bye. Uh-huh.